All right, good morning, Central Church. How are you today? And everyone joining us this morning, if you're a first-time guest or you've been here a couple of times or uh, you're new to Central, we, we hope you uh, feel welcome here and that you have a great experience today. If you're watching us online, uh, whether that's in our uh, web, Facebook Live page or our website, we're glad you're joining us today. Everyone that's out in the concourse, uh, welcome this morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, how many of you, this is the wrong crowd to ask this, I think, but how many of you are coming to that 6.30 Easter sunrise breakfast? Come on, 11.15 crowd. Some of you are? Okay. That's the hot ticket, I'm telling you. Get out early, go to the 715 service, have the rest of your Sunday to do whatever you want. Uh, you're going, yeah, right, Jeff. That's why we're here at 1115, because we don't like getting up at, in the morning. All right. Hey, we're in the middle of a, a teaching series called When. It's a study in the book of Psalms. Uh, it's called When because each individual psalm teaches us what to do when we encounter certain situations in life. So take your Bibles out this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 63. Psalm 63. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat uh, back pocket in front of you or under the seat if you're up front. We're going to launch into our teaching today in just a minute. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we confess our need for you today, uh, that you are our source of strength and power and wisdom and healing, forgiveness, grace. Uh, Lord, many here this morning and watching online just need your touch. They need your touch of healing. They need your, your touch of um, hope. Um, they need your strength and power. And so, Lord, we, we lean into you this morning, and we need, we need you for sure, Lord, to open the Scriptures to us, help us to understand them, teach us today, Holy Spirit, and then help us to, to put them into practice in our life this week so that you're glorified and so that we are changed. And so we thank you this morning for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is great to see you this morning. This is a great time of year, Easter season. I hope you're, if you're a regular part of Central, you're praying for and inviting those friends, family members that you have that are near to you but far from God uh, that you'd like to maybe move a little closer to God. So invite them to our, our Easter services or next week. Great season, great time of year. Okay, so when we, when we grow up physically in, in order to mature, that, that means that we begin to take responsibility for our own needs, for the needs in our life. So we, uh, we begin to buy our own groceries and cook our own meals and do our own laundry and um, you know, pay our own bills. And all of those things is a sign that you're growing up, that you're maturing and you're becoming responsible for your needs. And it's not much different spiritually. To spiritually grow up means that you take responsibility for your own spiritual needs, your own, your own growth in Christ. Now, the thing is that's easy when you're in church when the pastor opens up the Bible and has studied all week and has a theological background and, and he can share God's word with you and it, it makes sense or our worship team creates a really worshipful and, and praiseworthy environment. It's just easy to enter in when that's happening. But, but how do you have a meaningful connection with God when you're not in church? How do you have the same sense of connection when you're not, when you're not here? That's what Psalm 63 is about. How do, we, how do we have you know, meaningful times with God when we're not gathered like this and it doesn't seem as exciting, let's say? Well, Psalm 63 teaches us that. So let me give you a little background to Psalm 63. The, the superscription or the subtitle of this psalm is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, last week we talked about Psalm 57. David was also in the wilderness, but he was being chased by King Saul. So that was a different season in David's life. This is probably much later in David's life, after he already became the king 
of Israel because in verse 11, he references himself as the king. This is probably the situation in David's life later when he was the king when his son Absalom rebelled against him and got a bunch of people with him and stormed into Jerusalem and overtook the throne and drove David out of Jerusalem. Uh, and now David is, is in, in Judah, in the wilderness, in the desert, and he's abandoned the throne in Jerusalem. Well, let me tell you something about what David had established in Jerusalem. So you, you, you've probably heard of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the piece of furniture that was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament in the wilderness uh, that the, the people of Israel carried from place to place, and they would set up a tent called the tabernacle, and the, the, the um, Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, and that was where God met with the high priest. That was where God spoke to the high priest. Well, it represented the presence of God. So when David became the king and he moved to, to Jerusalem, he went to Gibeon where the tabernacle of Moses was set up, <clears throat> and he took the Ark of the Covenant and he brought it back to Jerusalem, but he set up his own tent. He, he created a tent for it, and it was called the Tent or the Tabernacle of David, the tabernacle of David, <clears throat> that worship place was very different than the tabernacle of Moses, although the, the furniture and things were similar. But David, because he was a musician, because he was a singer and a psalmist, brought a, a different element to the temple or to the tabernacle. And that was instruments, musical instruments, songs, praise, dancing, shouting. It was more of a celebration along with the sacrifice of animals. So in Psalm 63, David is, has been driven from Jerusalem. He's in the wilderness, but he's thinking about what it was like when he was in the tabernacle of David worshiping. Let's read Psalm 63 together. That's the context for it. Again, the, the superscription is a Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1 says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly or early search for you. My soul thirsts for you, my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. That's a reference to the tabernacle of David. I've, I've seen you there and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands <clears throat> to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast or the, the best meal I could possibly eat. I praise you with songs of joy in the wilderness, not in the tabernacle. David's finding this incredible satisfaction in God, not in the place that was exciting, not in that church service where it was easy, but when he's by himself in the wilderness. I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand uh, holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king, David referencing himself, the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be silenced. How do we have a meaningful connection with God when we're not in the tabernacle, but we're in the wilderness? When we're not at church, but we're separate? Now, if you think about it, that's most of your life, isn't it? If, if you go to church once a week, 
then there are six days when you're not in church that you need to have a meaningful... If you only come to church twice a month, that's like half of your, you know, 12 days instead of six that you're not with God with, in the church. So, so how do you do that? So I want to talk about, like, how do we have meaningful connections with God? And David gives us some insight. And, and the first is this. He said, connect with God first. Connect with God first. And by first, I mean early, like in the morning. Now, now, when I say this, that, we, that, that David wants us to connect with God early in the day or in the morning, this isn't some legalistic imposition saying, if you're not getting up early in the morning and meeting with God, you're not a good Christian. That's not what we're saying. There's a principle here, a, a principle that, that David and Jesus and, and men and women throughout church history have understood. The idea that they wanted to connect with God intimately before they began to connect with other things in their day. They wanted, to, they wanted to have a connection with God at an emotional level, a mental level, you know, a verbal level, a physical level, before they began to connect with other things in life. So verse one says this. David says, oh God, you are my God. Early or earnestly will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Again, early, David says in Psalm 5, verse 3, listen to my voice in the morning. Lord, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. So again, David understands this principle of rising before he's made connections with anything else in his day to make a connection with God. Jesus understood the same thing. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus, it says about Jesus that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated, uh, lonely, wilderness place to pray. Jesus separated himself before the sun came up, and another gospel says this was Jesus' habit. This was his pattern to get up early uh, before the day began, because Jesus knew, and David knew, and men and women throughout church history know that if they get up and they don't connect with God first, and they start connecting with everything else in their day, it's really hard to disconnect and then reconnect with God. There's something about, about connecting with God first or early in your day that enables you to walk with God in an intimate connection the whole day. So I don't know about you, my life is like a roller coaster, okay, in, in this sense. So when, when you're going to get on a roller coaster, there's, a, there's a, a period of time when you're waiting in line, and then there's a period of time when you're going up the ramp before you get to the top of that, that uh, you know, hit, and you begin to ascend. Let's take a look. This is kind of what my life looks like. Okay, that, that's kind of a wimpy roller coaster, right? There are some way, you know, more scary roller coasters. But, but the idea here is, is as I start my day, I have a little bit of time while I'm waiting for that roller coaster to start. And then I, get, I, I, I pull the harness down over my shoulders, I lock in, and then it's... I'm going up the ramp, and then I get to the top. But once I start descending, I have very little control over my life. I mean, it takes me on the course that it wants me to go. I don't have a whole lot of control, and it's really difficult for me to just say, hey, stop the roller coaster for a minute. When you guys get on the crazy train in the morning, it doesn't always stop and let you off. 
When you're running your kids everywhere, you're meeting with people, you have responsibilities, stresses, everything that you do in your day, it's really hard to disconnect and then connect with God. That's why David says, get up early and make a connection. Connect with God mentally. Connect with God verbally. Connect with God emotionally. Connect with God physically because it's going to be really hard. And I find that my day goes really fast. And, and, and if I even think about stopping to have some time with God, it's too late. The roller coaster started, and I have to wait till it ends. The other thing about, about connecting with God first is that most of the things that you and I connect with during the day take from us. They take our energy, they take our strength, they, they take our, our joy, they take our patience, they take our love, they, they, they suck from us. But Jesus gives to us. Jesus doesn't take from us, Jesus fills us. And sometimes we start our day without, without a connection with God, half empty, or with a quarter of a tank, or running on fumes. And when you do that, you've got nothing to give. You, you don't have the joy. You don't have the love. You don't have the patience. You don't, you don't have the wisdom to give. So you start your day. Many of us start that day. We get, the roller coaster starts descending, and we're on empty. Jesus doesn't take from you. He fills you. So Jesus is having a, a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well, and they're talking about the natural water that comes from the, the spring or the well that they're at. And here's what he says to her. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this natural well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give them will become inside of them. Now, Jesus is talking about eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Christ inside of you. The water that I will give him will become in him or her a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. This is an underground spring that's welling up and either, either spilling into a spring or onto the soil or whatever, but there's, there's this well that, that it flows up through and then it spills out over. Jesus is saying that's what we're like. And, and if you connect with Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, he, he fills you to the point of overflowing every day. There, there's this life of God in you that begins to overflow. As you make a connection with him, he fills you. Why would you want to start your day on empty? Why wouldn't you want to start your day overflowing with the life of the Holy Spirit as you connect with him? So David says, man, connect with him first before the crazy train starts. The second thing he says is we should connect with God desperately, desperately. Again, verses 1 and 2. David says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land, he's in the desert, where there's no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary, in the tabernacle, and gazed upon your glory and your power. Scholars believe David is making a comparison there between his spiritual life, his soul, his spiritual life inside, and his physical life in the desert. As a physical person or someone that's in the desert, he, he's in desperate need for water. If you are in the desert, you, the, the very first thing, your first priority when you get up in the morning is finding what? Finding what? Water. This isn't a, it's not a casual desire to connect with God. It's not a casual desire to get water. It's a life and death need. 
So David says, in the same way that my soul longs for a connection with God, in the same way that I get up early and I want to have an intimate relationship with God, it's like my body in the desert, it's in desperate need of water. How many of you pursue God in your life like a person in the desert that has to have water? Like, like you come to church once a week. You know, most people say that you can live three days without water, right? So some of you come to church and then you go six days with no water, you're dead, Somehow you think, well, I can, I can live two weeks without water. I, no, you can't. And what happens is you die spiritually. You don't lose your salvation, but you die spiritually. You have no spiritual life inside of you, nothing to share with people, nothing to, to get you through the day, nothing to revive you, nothing to give you strength, nothing to give you hope. And so when we seek him desperately, we are like that person in the desert that, that says, this is the most important thing in my life. The, the most important thing that I could pursue every day when I begin my day is a connection with Christ. That's my life source. That's my wellspring. And I, I seek it as though it's life and death spiritually, not just, well, it would be really nice. It would be, no, th- they look for trees. They look for rivers. They look for, for springs. They look for some source of water because if they don't find it, they'll die. But, but the, the, the next verse, verse 3, David tells us the why that we need to be desperate, the why we need to be desperate for God. I think it's the most important verse in the entire psalm. Verse three says this, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Why do we need to seek God desperately? Because his love is better than life. The word better there is an interesting word in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. It means means good, it means wholesome, it means, it means profitable, it means helpful, it means morally excellent. It's the word that was used in Genesis chapter 1, in the five days of creation, God would create something on day one, and then it says, and behold, he looked at everything and he said it was good. Day two, he creates everything and he looks, and behold, it was good. So not only is God good, morally excellent, worthwhile, profitable, but the word also means the better of two alternatives. The better of two alternatives. So the choice to connect with Jesus, the the choice of walking in relationship with Jesus, David says his love is better than what? Life. All of life. That means there's nothing in life that's more meaningful, fulfilling, that gives you more joy or peace or anything in your life than Jesus. So, so you guys and I, we pursue other things pretty hard and pretty desperately in our lives, don't we? We pursue money. We pursue work. We pursue relationships. There's things that we pursue in our lives because we believe they will give us pleasure and meaning and fulfillment. We seek hard after those things. David says his love is better than all of that. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the greatest job. Jesus is greater than the, 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 better than the greatest marriage. He's, he's better than all the money you could earn. He's better than, than all of the physical pleasure. He's better than any recreation. He's better than everything in life. So why don't you seek him as desperately as you seek everything else? Knowing him is better than life. But we don't live like that. We, we don't live as though... Connecting with God is going to give us the greatest joy and pleasure in life. So part of this journey of Christianity, part of of following Jesus is becoming like him. 
Scripture says that we were, we were predestined to be conformed to the image and, and the nature and the likeness of Jesus. We glorify God when we live like Christ. The Holy Spirit is trying to, to make us live differently, to transform us to be like Jesus. And as you journey with Jesus, as you walk this Christian life, one of the things that happens is you come to points in your life where the Lord says, that is not glorifying to me. I don't want you to walk in that anymore. And we recognize that. And, and whether it's an addiction, whether it's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or eating, whatever that addiction is, it's hard to give that up. And yet we get to these, these crossroads in our journey with Jesus where he says, you need to lay that aside. And we're afraid to. I, I deal with people with, with sexual addictions. I, I deal with people that have same-sex attraction and all of these deep-seated feelings and desires that they don't want to give up in order to walk more fully with Jesus. This verse is critical to us because he says no matter what the Lord asks you to give up in life, Jesus is better. Come on, somebody. His love is better than life. Anything in life, anything you might have to lay aside in your life, Jesus is better. More joy, more meaning, more fulfillment in Christ than in that thing that you're worried about giving up. What a powerful verse. David says, there's nothing in life that you should desire more or seek harder after than Jesus because he's gonna give you everything that you need in life. What, what is it right now in your life that the Lord's saying, Give it up. Lay it aside. Don't, don't continue on that path. And you're afraid. You're afraid you're going to miss out on something. You're, you're afraid that you're not going to be able to have the joy or whatever you think it's bringing you. Jesus is better than all of that. His love is, is better than life. The third thing that David says is that, that not only do we need to connect with God first and connect with God desperately, but we need to connect with God consistently, consistently. And by consistently, I mean it, it's regular in your life. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not something that you just do once a week, right? So here's what we read in verse 4. David says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to your name. Verse 6. I lie awake thinking of you, uh, meditating on you through the night. David says, every day of my life, I seek you. David says, in the morning, I get up early to see God. In the evening, I'm on my bed when I can't sleep. I'm thinking about him and meditate. This is a lifestyle, a lifestyle of seeking a connection with God. Consistently seeking God is, is not just on Sunday or Saturday or whenever you attend church. It's, it's every day. How many of you worship God or connect with God pretty much every day? Or how often is it? Some people only go to church once or twice a month. So is that your limit of connection with God? Here's, here's the, the, the amazing thing that I, that I see in this psalm. David, David not only makes this a lifestyle, in other words, it's not only consistent in his life. As he goes through his day, every day he recognizes the need to be consistent with God. But what David does in this psalm is he remembers what he did in the tabernacle and, and the type of worship and the type of devotion and connection that he did there, he does in the wilderness. So let me ask you, do you worship and connect with God the same at church, or I should say it the other way, when you're by yourself as you do when you're at church? 
Now let's look in verses 4 through 7 and see what David says he does in the wilderness. Pay, pay attention. I will bless you, Lord, as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I, I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Not in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. So what did David do in the wilderness? There were several things. He, he thanks God with his, his lips and his words. He's thankful. He sings songs to the Lord. He lifts his hands to the Lord. I think if David would have given a, a, a more uh, descriptive list of things that he does, he probably would have said, I, I shout to the Lord, I, I kneel before the Lord, I clap before the Lord, I dance before the Lord, because those were the things that he did in the tabernacle. It says that he meditates on God. It says that he seeks God's word. There, there's a sense in which David is the same person in the tabernacle as he is in the wilderness. There's no difference in his worship. So let me ask you this. Do you only lift your hands? Do you only sing to God? Do you only worship him? Do you only give him thanks? Do you, do you only do those things when you're in church? If you do, it's just a performance. That's all it is. It's not a life, it's a performance. You, you are not taking what you do in church and doing it every day. In other words, when you're in your bedroom reading your Bible or praying, your worship of the Lord, your connection with the Lord shouldn't look much different than it does when you're here. The children's choir was here this morning and um, I, I was in the front row here and, and the, the group that was in front of me, there was, there was a, couple of, a couple of kids and horrible voices, just ab <laughs> absolutely <laughs> offensive voices. And they were the loudest. They were the loudest in the, whole, in the whole group. And did they care? I'm sitting here. I, I'm standing down there just kind of ashamed <laughs> at, at my pitiful worship. Like, th this is no show. This is just from the heart. The, the, these kids just, they don't care who's around. They don't care what's going on. And that, that's just what they do. And when we, when we come and we sing and we worship in church, the, the question is, are we consistent with that? Do we do that at home? Do we do that in the car? Are, are, we, are we consistent? D David was no different. I just find that amazing when I read this. Because the things that you're saying, I lift my hands, I sing praise, I, I, I shout his glory, I do all of those things, wasn't in church. It was in the wilderness. What is your wilderness worship like? Is there consistency in that? So again, Jesus is having that conversation with the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4, and, and, and he talks about worship, and he says this, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain, now that was a, a reference to Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritan temple was, where they worshiped God, neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. That's where the Jews had their temple, and that's where the Jews worshiped God. It was a building. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. The Jews had the scripture. They had more understanding. But a time is coming, and it's already here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and in truth, 
For they are, the, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. It's not about a building. She had it in her mind that if I'm going to worship, I, I do that on Mount Gerizim. Or if you're a Jew, you do that in Jerusalem. If you're in David's time, you, you do that at the tabernacle of David when you, when you go to the temple. Jesus is saying, no, 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 worship, worship is not about a building. Yes, you should go to church. Yes, you should worship corporately. The New Testament commands us to do that, to gather as believers. So you don't neglect that and say, well, Pastor Jeff said, I don't have to go to church. I can just worship anywhere that I want. No, that's not the point. The point is you are to worship not only in church, but you are to worship every day wherever you are. It's not based on a building. David proved that. He didn't only worship in the tabernacle when he was king in Jerusalem. He worshiped when he was driven out. After he lost his kingdom in the wilderness, he still worshiped God the same. Do you? When you worship, when you lose things in your life, when your life is disappointing, when your life seems to be a wreck, do you worship the same in the wilderness as you do in the tabernacle? Thank you for that. Don't ever forget that. That's the point of this psalm. You, you don't look for a building to go. That, that's a performance. Yes, come and worship with all of your heart. But when you leave, every day consistently, seek him, connect with him. Lift your hands, lift your voice, give him praise. Be thankful, kneel before him, shout before him, dance before him, because he's worthy of it. Jesus said a time is coming, it's already here. When if you have the Holy Spirit, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you worship wherever you are. You be a light wherever you are. So how are you doing? <laughs> how come you guys don't preach at me like this guy does, right? If you're here this morning and you heard me say that no matter, no matter what you're dealing with in life, no matter your disappointments or the things that bring you pleasure, Jesus is better, it's true. And maybe you've been around church, maybe you've lived your life, maybe you've pursued all kinds of things, but you've never met Jesus. You've never experienced then the life that God intends for you because you're separated from him and he's the source of life. You're in the desert and you think maybe you're finding a few things to satisfy you, but there's a wellspring of life that you can draw from that you don't even know about. It's Jesus Christ. And around here, we say that a relationship with Jesus is, is as easy as A, B, C. A, you have to admit that you've sinned. You've sinned against God. You know that. We don't need anybody telling us that. But B, you have to believe that Jesus was God who became a human and lived a sinless life, but then he died a criminal's death on a cross so he could take your sin and my sin on himself and remove it from us. You have to believe that Jesus can forgive your sin, all of it. And you have to ask him to do that. And then see, you have to commit your life to following him as best as you can with the, the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his grace to being what he wants you to be. And he'll help you. If you're here this morning and you want to experience that better life that David talks about, the better life that, that most of the people here have experienced, this new life, this different life, I'd like everyone to bow your heads. I want to invite you to that life this morning. Just pray this with me if that's you. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law, whether it's lust or greed or sexual sin or alcohol abuse, whatever it is, God, I've been dishonest. I know that I've fallen short. But Jesus, you took my sin on the cross, and, and I need forgiveness. I, I want to know you, and so would you forgive me right now? Just pray that in your heart. 
Say, God, save me from my sin. Give me that new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit now so I can live differently. I want to know what the pastor's talking about when he says that your love is better than life. I invite you into my life to, to lead me and guide me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that this morning and you meant it, you've never really prayed that before, I want, to, I want you to do one more thing. We're going to end now. But I want you to come forward and we're going to have some folks up here that, that would pray with you and just encourage you in your new walk of faith with Christ. Everyone else, would you stand with me this morning? What is God saying to you? Is God saying maybe you need to connect with God first in your day? Is he saying you need to be a little more desperate? You need to pursue him a little bit harder? Is he saying that you need to be more consistent, not just once a week or twice a month, but every day connect in worship? Or or is he saying, hey, there's something I want you to lay aside. There's an area that, that I want you to trust me with so that I can give you a life better than what you have now. What, what is that area in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for David's example that he replicated worship not only in the tabernacle but in the wilderness. Help us to be consistent, God. Help us to, to, to connect with you early and consistently and desperately and to really experience the reality that Christ is better than life, good or bad. Help us to walk that out this week in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave this morning, uh, our ushers are going to be at the door. We're, we're collecting a benevolent offering that just goes to help people. If you, have, if you have something you could put in there, that would be great. If you need prayer this morning for anything, come on down to the altar. We'll have people to pray. Have an awesome Sunday. God bless you.